Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Good morning. Sweet to be with you guys and uh, just share what God's been sharing with me as we're in the book of Genesis. You can be opening up into the book of Genesis. Uh, last week, um, we, we left off with Jacob. Uh, just it said um, in, uh, what was it, verse 30, 43 of chapter 30, that the man became exceedingly prosperous. In the Hebrew, he burst out exceedingly, exceedingly. And if you remember, Jacob was trying to figure out how to provide for his family. And it came down to his witness, his walk, and his work. And we saw that he was able, through animal husbandry, heredity, and genetics, burst out exceedingly, exceedingly, and exceed all that Laban had. It caused contention between Laban's sons, and it was time for Jacob to move on. It was interesting as we looked at that, and I didn't mention, I just want to take a moment, how he was able to use genetics and, and, and prosper through these. And this is like thousands of years ago, and yet he was able to figure this out. And I just wanted to make a couple points in that. that the Bible is not a science textbook right? And sometimes people look at it as though it ought to be. It's not. That's not what it's meant to be. But every time the Bible talks about science, it is always accurate, way ahead of its time as we, as we explore things in the world. This last uh, couple days, I had the blessing to be over in the Tri-Cities at a conference, and one of the guest speakers was a gentleman by the name of Jason Lyle. He's an astrophysicist a brilliant man. He worked with uh, Answers in Genesis, and then he moved on to Institute for Creation Research, and now he has his own uh, ministry, Biblical Science Institute, and he really deals with issues of science. And as an astrophysicist, he really loves to get into astronomy and things like that. And he was able to share with us stuff that just blows your mind. But he would tell you at the end of the day, I get into debates with all my fellow scientists, and they, you know, they, they want to argue me or pin, you, pin me down on the science. And he goes, at the end of the day, you need Jesus. All my ministry means nothing if you, I could win the argument and you go to hell. You need Jesus. The Bible, it's not a science textbook, but it's always accurate scientifically. It's a, it's a history book, and it's always accurate historically. And, and we get in the Bible man's version of history, but we also get God's version of history so we can see the two laid up against each other. And we have the evidence. You can dig. You, the archaeology, uh, literature, it, it's all proven with the Scriptures. The Bible is prophetically accurate. Over one-third of the Bible are prophecies. God's saying what He will do in advance. He tells you the and from the beginning, and then when it happens, you know only God could be doing that. The Bible is prophetically accurate. It's miraculously accurate, okay? And in that, there's several ways you could take it, but 
in fact, the Bible does discuss miracles, those things that can't be explained by science, and yet they happen. And this is where you will find those answers. And it's honestly accurate and trustworthy. It gives us the story of God and His creation and His redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ, with all the warts and all the wrinkles and all the stinky stuff, like what we've been dealing with in this family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, certainly a dysfunctional family, warped, we've been talking about. But that's one thing about the Scriptures. It passes the smell test. It's real. You know your life. You know sometimes your life stinks. Sometimes you stink. And you can see truth in the Scriptures and all these other supposedly holy books. It's funny how they just gloss and, and just kind of show this fantastic superhero picture. We know it's true on every level. Well, here we are dealing with Jacob, and he flees from Laban, and we're going to pick up at chapter 31, verse 17. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padanaram, to go to the, his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban, this is his uncle, had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. We'll visit that again in a couple minutes. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. Like under the shadow of darkness, right? He took all that he had acquired. Now remember, at this point in Jacob's life, he's 90 years old and still fit as a fiddle. And he's been with his uncle Laban 20 years. He was only supposed to go up there, find a girl, get married, and come home. 20 years later, Laban has been deceiving him and tricking him and cheating him, and uh, Jacob had really met his match in his uncle Laban, but now he figures it's time to go, but the only way I'm ever going to get out of here is I got to just go under the cover of darkness, because every time that old fox Laban catches up with me, he smooth talks me, he sweetens the pot, he changes the deal, I just need to go. So that's what he did. He got in his camels, and he rode, and he rode to the land of Haran. That's about 300 miles to the west, southwest of um, where they were in Haran. Uh, he flees to Gilead, I should say, the mountains of Gilead. Those are the mountains that border Israel on the east, okay? If you were to go from the Mediterranean to the mountains of Israel and then down into the Jordan Valley, it's those mountains on the other side of the Jordan. These are the mountains of Gilead. That's where he's going going back to where God called him. Come back home. Verse 22, and Laban was told on the third, I'm sorry, I'm, I, verse 19, now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household gods, idols. I, I think I did read that. So he stole away and he fled and he crossed and he went to Gilead. Verse 22, and Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled, okay? Remember, they're, they're uh, herding sheep on different hillsides, right? And so it took a little while for the news to get over to Laban that his son, his daughters, and his grandkids and all of that had left. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. 
If you do the math, okay, it's about 300 miles, seven days. They were moving at about 40 miles a day. That's hoofing it. That is moving out. Laban is pursuing Jacob and his family um, just with passion and we'll see with vengeance. He's wanting to catch up and do business with him, and they are just rolling on, steamrolling to catch up with him, and they do. And seven days after Laban takes up, they catch up with him. Verse 24, but God had come to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. His intention wasn't even to talk. His intention was just to whoop up on him and get his stuff back, okay? But God intervened. Praise God. You know, God will step in even in the heart of wicked people and say, ah, 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 don't cross that line. Verse 25, so Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead, so they're there next to each other. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? And that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with a sword. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs and timbrel and harp. Now, we know Laban, he always does this, okay? And it's, it's kind of a Middle East tradition. When you start bartering, you start making you sound so magnanimous. I would have done, I would have given you the world. And, and this is how Laban initiates all of these negotiations he enters into. He goes in verse 28, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. In verse 29, he says, It is my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Ah, okay. These gods, these are little teeny trinkets, idols, fetishes. It's called a telephim. But basically, when people would worship idols in those days, they'd make a little figurine of the god Molech or the Canaanite goddesses and gods. And, and these, they'd make shrines and they would worship them as though they had powers. And we see that it's something that was actually in the family tree from way back in the days of Terah, Abraham's father, when he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, a land of idolatry, that much of the family brought the idols with them. And here Laban, uh, his father-in-law, has these idols in his home. He's had them in there all these 20 years. And when push comes to shove and he gets through all of his lists of the way that you've treated me, he says, and by the way, where's my idols? That's what he's really after. He's after his lucky rabbit's foot. He's after his son-in-law who has prospered him amazingly. He recognizes that with Jacob gone, all the blessings of God have departed as well. And not only that, you took my rabbit's foot. And that's the, the head of the argument right there. You can see Laban's heart peeking around the corners here, okay? Why did you steal my gods? Verse 31, then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. 
not unreasonable of Jacob, right? We said this last week, but it said 10 times he's changed his wages when he was telling his wives, you know, your father has mistreated us. And even the wives said, yeah, he's treated us like chattel, like slave. We don't have anything left of our inheritance. They all said, we need to leave, okay? And at this point, Jacob answered, I was afraid. He said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. And, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me 10, 11 times, or shame on you. Fool me 10 or 11 times, shame on me. Jacob's like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, I was afraid. Perhaps you take your daughters from me by force. For with, whom, with whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So he makes this vow but in doing so, he unintentionally puts his wife's life on the line, the wife that he loved, his favorite wife, right? And yet it's funny, this is the daughter of Rebekah. What do we know about Rebekah? Not only is she the brother of Laban, but she's the one who advised Jacob in the first place to go fool your dad and get the birthright. And so, this little business of being deceitful and cunning is spread throughout the whole family. Like I said, it's dysfunctional. It's warped. It stinks. And yet, in all of this, God shines through the middle. He can work with these people. He gives us hope. He can work with us. Right? So, it's, it's sordid. It's sad. Um, but it fits the smell test. This is a lot like our lives. It's like, okay, let's see how God's going to deal with this one. Uh, verse 33, and Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord if I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched but did not find the household idols. Whew. Close call. Okay? Now, in this, there's deception going on. Is this good or is this bad? We know that deception is never good, but can God work with a heel-catching, cheating, deceiving person? Thank God He can work with us. So... He didn't find the household idols. Verse 36, Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban, and Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass or transgression? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes, your female goats, have not miscarried their young. I have not eaten of the rams of your flock. That which was torn by the beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it over my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day. Drought consumed me and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times, unless... The God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you at last. Ha-ha! 
right? It's funny, if we get over into verse 30, verse 33, when Jacob proposed this deal of uh, separating the flocks and I'll keep the spotted, speckled, and streaked, in verse 33 of 30, he said, so my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. And here it is. There's the answer. I've done everything as I should have before you. Now, Jacob doesn't realize what his wife has done, okay? And so he's getting a little bit huffy, a little self-righteous. This is something that we notice a lot in, you know, maybe, what is it, about seven, eight years old, maybe 10, 11 years old. Kids, all of a sudden, you know, you know they've done something wrong 10 times that day. But it's the one thing they didn't do wrong, and you blame the brother, you blame the sister, and boy, do they get mad. And this is what Jacob is doing. And it's funny with us as Christians, too. It's like we're going along, and we may get caught or busted for doing something or accused of something we haven't done. And do we ever fly off the handle? I didn't do that. How dare you accuse me of that? It's like, yeah, what about the hundred things that nobody caught you doing? Right? You know, now I'm going to say this and you can accept it or feel how you like about it. But, you know, our, our pure word ministry, a huge number of our people in our pure word ministry are familiar with the Stay Free Hotel. Okay? the Minicasha jail. And, and I don't, you, we all chuckle, but you know what? In many cases, the reason they might have been there is the same reason you might have been here, but you didn't get caught. Hello? So, when we start getting all self-righteous, I'm not like that guy, I'm not like that girl, I'm, I'm like, I'm just lucky. And Jacob goes into all these hysterics, uh, but he does set out a case before Laban that you're no better than me. How dare you call me a cheat? You are the biggest cheat of all, and my uh, self-righteous will answer for me. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing because we do see in Jacob, when he fled uh, his brother Esau, his life did change. His worship changed. His witness changed changed. His walk changed. His worth ethic changed. Was he a perfect man? No, but he wasn't the old man. After meeting Jesus Christ, he started out on a new life, and that righteousness, even the bits and pieces that God allowed, shone forth. It was a witness to the world, I'm not who I used to be. Amen? And we can, we can all make that claim. Verse 43, and Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters, these children are my children, this flock is my flock, and all you see is mine. But what can I do this day to my daughters or their children whom they have borne? Now therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and it will be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. And Laban called it Yeger Sar. Sarah, I'm sorry, Saharatha, and Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Gali. Okay, and they just use these, these two words, Jager, Sarutha, and uh, Galid. They simply, in Aramaic and Hebrew, mean a heap 
or a heap of witness. It's like putting up a boundary stone or a, a cornerstone, a marker. It's a memorial stone. It says, this day in this place something happened. Right? We got them all over the place. You go by down the road, and there's historical markers and all this kind of stuff. And they said, we're going to put a stone right here, and it's going to be a witness that we came together, we made a treaty, we broke bread, we ate a meal together, and we covenanted together to abide by these terms. And this stone, this pile of stones, is a witness to those things. So they said, therefore, its name was called Gilead, verse 49, also Mitzpah. Because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters or if you take other wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, God is witness between you and me. Interesting, this, this idea of mitzpah. I, I've seen these uh, like little coins, they're mitzpah coins on a necklace, or oftentimes they're like a heart, and they're broken in two, and one person wears one piece of the heart, and the other person wears the other piece of the heart, and they call this mitzpah, because God is watching us. When I'm off to work, and you're over here, we know God's watching and keeping track of us, and it's also lovey-dovey romantic, and it's really not accurate. Literally, mitzpah means God has seen what we have said here today, and we are making a vow. You cross that line, and I will kill you. That's the terms that they're talking about. Never, ever, ever you come over there, and I won't come over there. But if you do break this covenant, then it could be capital punishment for you, okay? That's mitzvah. God's going to watch. And if, and if for some chance I'm not there to catch you, God will get you. That's the terms that they're doing right here. So, you, you can see the love, right? This is such a dysfunctional family. Um, but nevertheless, God's going to work through these things. God is witness between you and me. Verse 51, then Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness and I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judged between us. And Jacob swore, and this is the second time we've heard this, by the fear of his father Isaac. That's a name for God. There are many names for God that we read right here. Two times we've seen it in this chapter. He is called the fear of Isaac, right? And that fear of Isaac, that recognition that God sees and God is taking charge. And I think it really harkens back to the moment when he had blessed um, Jacob, when he had come in and fooled him, covered himself with fur and fed him those savory meats and everything. And, and uh, Isaac gives him the blessing. And as soon as he's done blessing, Jacob leaves and in comes Esau. He says, where's my blessing? He says, who are you? Well, I, I might, you told me to go get this. And he goes, oh, I just... I, 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 I just gave the blessing to your brother, and Esau realized at that moment that God was watching. God was intervening in his life, and Jacob is now making a vow by the fear of Isaac, recognizing God knows, God sees, and you're never going to get away with anything and, uh, and think that God doesn't un understand that. Um, everything's revealed before God, okay? We stand naked before Him, and there's nothing He doesn't know. So, what are we trying to fool? Who are we trying to hide? It's kind of the picture in all of this. 
Verse 54, then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. This is the last you're going to see of Laban. Everybody say, yay! I mean, you know, he's just a cheat. He's a diehard cheat. He's, He's a picture of a man of the world. He's full of covetousness, okay? And this covetousness, this lifestyle, has now separated him from his family and his fortune, okay? And it's a cautionary tale. It's a sober warning to anybody that's trying to live a semi-religious, quasi-self-seeking life. You want to have your church, and you want to have your party, and you want to have your fellowship with God, and you want to have your stuff from the world. And, and you're sitting on this fence trying to figure out how you can get it all. And, you know, I love it what Dallas says, you know, who owns the fence? You're sitting on the fence. Who owns the fence? The devil owns the fence. What are you doing on that fence? Get off the fence. you got to pick which side you're going to be on, hot or cold. But Jesus, I'll spew outside of my mouth if you're just that lukewarm person. And here Laban, he's, he loves all the religious blessings, all the spiritual blessings that come from this blessed Son of God. And, and, but, but he also wants this stuff. And when you are trying to get both of those things, you end up losing them all. Jesus would say, um, what profit is a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And this is Laban. He's that man. Verse 32, chapter 32, verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim. Okay, Mahana or Mahana means camp. A camping place. When you put an I am on the end of a Hebrew word, it makes it plural. So this is a double camp is literally what this Mahanaim is. There's two camps going on here. Here I'm camping and look, there's angels camping here too. Not the first time Jacob had a vision of angels and realized, wow, surely God is in this place, right? But it came after he dealt with Laban. It came after he separated himself from the worldliness and the covetousness of Laban, and he starts following the call of God. And he's in the mountains of Gilead. He's just about to enter back into the boundaries of the promised land, which God says, I will bring you home to be with me. And so as he's on the boundaries and he's about to enter in, God meets him and his whole uh, family and flocks and herds with angels. It's a welcoming committee. Welcome, right? And Jake's like, wow. And God is kind of bolstering him and, and giving him evidence and proof. See, I told you I would take good care of you. I told you I'd bring you home. And here's a welcoming committee, double camp, Mahanaim. Okay? Verse 3, then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom. That's where he had been herding his flocks. Okay, so this is to the east of Israel. It's in those mountains, those Gilead mountains, the, the land of Eden. And now he sends messengers to tell Esau, I'm coming back. It's been 20 years. Last time he saw Esau, he was breathing threats and murders. I'm going to kill that guy. And, and, and to this day, Jacob's got this on his heart. Last time I talked to my brother, he said, next time I see you, you're a dead man, okay? And so here, he's sending messengers out, telling his brother, 
It's been 20 years. I hope you've cooled off. I'm coming back. Okay? He wants to obey God. God told him to go back. Go to the land that I promised you. It's, you're not done with the inheritance. I've given you a family. I've made your descendants as the stars of the sea. I've prospered you. I've increased your flocks. And I've got an inheritance waiting for you. Come on home. He's got to pick up the last part of the promise. But, but there's somebody waiting there that scares me. <laughs> That's like us sometimes. God has promised us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has promised us everywhere the sole of your foot goes, I will prosper you. You just put on the gospel, shod your feet with the gospel of peace, and go into the world and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, everybody ready? One, two, three. We're going to get up and go tell the whole world about Jesus Christ. Uh, there's people out there. They're not nice to me. It's my family. They're not nice to me. My brother is not nice to me. And we get cold feet. And kind of that's what's happening here. Verse 4, so he, can't, uh, so he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my Lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Now, he's not boasting of what he has. What he's trying to do is maybe assuage the wrath of Esau. Last time we met Esau, I stole your blessing. I stole your inheritance. We're going to have a meeting coming up here pretty quick. You should know I'm not coming to steal anything from you. I've got everything I need. I got, I, I, I'm good. I'm not coming to get. In fact, we're going to see I'm coming to give. It's a different walk that we have. It's a different witness that we have, a different testimony when we are a believer in Christ and we're walking in His way and in His Word and we go out into the world. We're not trying to get anything from anybody. I, what do I need? I've got it all. I'm a child of God. I'm heaven bound. My sins are forgiven. I've got the Holy Ghost. I've got every spiritual blessing. What, what do I need? I don't need anything. You come in and you want to start talking about people about Jesus. What are you trying to get from me? You know, I'm not trying to get anything from you. I've got more Jesus than I know what to do with. Have some. Right? I'm coming to give. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. Oh, this is great. A family reunion. And 400 men are with him. What's with the army? That could cause you to pause. Verse 7, so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with them into flocks and herds and camels into two companies or two camps. Again, there's more to this double camp than meets the eye, and now he's splitting up all of his assets into two, okay, into two camps. And verse 8, and he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. It's kind of funny. He's been come, called to come back to the promised land. God says, I'll be with you. I'll treat you nicely. You're going to be doing really good. And yet fear is still ruling him and, and driving him. And he, so he's trying to make, and this is what he's done his whole life. He's the heel catcher. He's cunning. He's deceitful. How can I work this out? Well, if I split him in half, I only lose half. Okay? 
And yet, didn't you just meet the whole host of angels in this camp? Do you not know that God is going before you? Do you not know He has made a promise to bring you back in safety? But fear is getting the upper hand right now, okay? And one will escape. Verse 9, then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. Jacob is praying. And in this, this is a really good thing. It's not so much like unlike us, right? Uh, you know, we want to consider ourselves men of great faith, but occasionally fear creeps in, okay? And, and Jacob's almost the poster child for, well, if all else fails, pray, right? Now, it should be pray and just let God do it, right? It, we know this mentally. Why don't we just live by faith, walk in prayer, see what God will do? But often we're more like Jacob. And so, but he does pray, oh my God, father of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and your family, and I'll deal well with you. He knows who he's talking to, the God of the promise. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Why would you even listen to me? Why would you even spend any time with me? We just had communion a couple minutes ago, and something that impressed me that, uh, yesterday, I took communion at the conference that I was at, and I don't know where it came from. They didn't talk about it, but as we were getting ready to take communion and receive communion, it, God just impressed upon me this picture of the disciples gathered and with fervent desire, I've desired to have this Passover with you before I suffer. And they do, and they enter into communion, and we do this in remembrance of all that God has done for us. And then after supper, he gets up, and he girds himself, and he washes the disciples' feet, right? They were dirty at that table. The manner, the custom is to come in and get clean, you know, that's just typical. You, you come into the household, they'd wash you, you'd sit down at the table and eat. But Jesus wanted so much to be with them that they even forsook that, and then afterwards, nobody else had done it, and, and Jesus took it upon himself to wash them. But Jesus wants to meet with you. Jesus wants to dine with you. Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. He's paid the debt for you, and he doesn't care if you come in dirty. And, and, and I look at what's going on here, and, and Jacob, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to talk to you. I just, when I left, I was running and all I had was my staff and here I come back and you have blessed me abundantly. Who am I to ask for anything else from you? But here's God meeting him, sending the angels. It'll get better in just a minute too. He says, verse 11, deliver me, which is to say, save me. This is a prayer of salvation. Save me, God. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother and the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which can be, not be numbered for multitude. And Jacob did a really good thing. He prayed the scriptures. He prayed the words of God. He took God's word at face value, and he said, you said this, and I'm going to cash in on this promise. You told me I'll never leave you or forsake you, so I need you here now. 
You told me that you would prosper me and, and help me in my life. And I, I need you now. And this is the God we serve, the God of promises. And it, he doesn't mind that you say, I promise to clean you up. That's what he came to do. He's going to do it. He doesn't mind that you say, I need help with my witness. I need help evangelizing. I need help talking to my brother. He's like, that's what I'm here for. Don't worry about asking. He says, for you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitudes. So, verse 13, he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. Took what came to his hand is the way to say all that he had received from God. So, he went 20 years and burst out exceedingly, exceedingly, and he's coming back with flocks, droves of all these animals are going to be listed in just a minute here. And he's like, I'm going to take everything that you've given me, God, and I'm going to give it to him. I don't mind starting over. All I need is my staff. It worked the last time. I walked with you. I talked with you. I worked with you. I witnessed for you. And you burst me out exceedingly, exceedingly. I'm going to give everything that you've given me to my brother Esau. Isn't that what part of the rub was in their relationship before? Jacob stole Esau's blessing, stole Esau's inheritance. Now Jacob's back. Hey, bro, you can have that. I got Jesus. I don't need all that. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 12 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servant, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. So by my count, there's at least five groups or droves of these flocks, whether it's a group of donkeys or a group of rams or a group of camels, but each one of these consists of a, a, a big chunk. It puts some successive distance between the droves, and he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. Notice the humility, the younger of the brothers. I'm your servant, Esau. Eat crow. I don't care. I don't need the title. I don't need the prestige. I'm your servant. I'm here, I'm here to bless you. I'm not here to get. I'm here to give. Say, it's your servant Jacob's. It's a present sent to, to my Lord Esau, and behold, he is also behind us. And so what he's doing is, in effect, to a certain degree, buttering him up. He's kind of blunting the blow, if you will. If Esau is coming with his 400 men, well, first there comes this whole flock of camels. What's that all about? Oh, your brother Jacob, he's giving them to you. A little while later, here comes a whole flock of rams and goats. What's that all about? Oh, your brother Jacob, he's giving those to you, right? And after wave after wave of blessing upon blessing, you might think, do I really want to kill my brother? What else might be in store? 
So, verse 19, so he commanded the second and third and all who followed the drove, saying, in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant is behind us. Okay, make sure you let him know, I am coming, We're, there's a meeting, get ready, you know, psych yourself up, prepare. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, perhaps he'll accept me. So the present went out on over before him, and he himself lodged that night in the camp. And so here's Jacob. Remember, he, you know, he, he's born heel catcher. He comes out second. He's grabbing on to Esau's heel. That's his name. And throughout his life, we see him deceiving, crafty, cunning, cheating. And this is his whole life. He, he flees from his family because he's just messed everything up and goes and ends up in Laban. It's like out of the frying pan and into the fire. And, and 20 years with Laban being cheated and worked, but walking with God. And, and he's really a, a changed person. And now he's coming back home. He knows he's got to make uh, reconciliation with his brother. But Probably the thing that he fears most, even Laban never threatened to kill him, except in the, you know, the vow of Mizpah, but that, it, this is like really coming to a head, and he's nervous, and he's scared. Uh, verse 21, so the present went over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Remember, this is Mahanaim, not just Mahana. It's not just a camp, it's the double camp. God is there. The angels are there, and He's there with them. Verse 22, and He arose that night and took His two wives, His two fam female servants, and His eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of the Yebalk. And He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what He had. So, he separated out, separated out, sent it on ahead, and he's whittling everything down. And finally, even his wives, his, his concubines, and his children, he sets them all aside. And here is East, or Jacob all alone, okay? The night before he crosses the Jordan River into the Promised Land, the night before he meets his brother Esau, big, big moment in his life. Epic opportunity, epic battle. This might be it. This might be curtains for him. He doesn't know. He's just, he just, he's going to be alone that night. He rose that night, took his wives, female servants, sons, and crossed over the ford of the Jabok. Then he took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And this is where it just gets very interesting. I thought he was by himself. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Do you see that in your Bibles? A man. When you look at that word man, is there anything interesting about how it appears in your Bible? It's a capital M. What do we know when they capitalize a name or a title like that in the Bible? It's speaking of deity. It's speaking of God. Now, this man goes unnamed. We're not going to know his name in this passage, but I will be showing you a couple things before we get out of here in other parts of the Bible that are going to illuminate this man. Okay, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Man, of all the nights in my life I need a good night's sleep, this night you show up and wrestle with me? And I want you to make just a small note. I want to overplay it, but the man comes to wrestle with Jacob. Okay? It's not that Jacob sees a man and decides to go wrestle him. 
This man comes for the very purposes of wrestling with Jacob. There's a word play here. If you were reading in the Hebrew, it would start, you'd say, wow, there's something going on here. This is funny. Jacob is Jacob's name, Jacob. Yabok is the name of the river, and Yabok means to pour out or to empty itself out. This feeder stream that came down from the mountains of Galilee into the Jordan River, it was known as the pouring out or the emptying out. That was the name of this creek, Yabok, emptying out, pouring out, making void. And then it says that he wrestled, Yabek. So we've got Yaakov, Yabok, Yabek. And you get a little bit of a, a sound going on there, and you're like, there's a little bit more to the, than meets the eyes. My ears are telling me there's something in this. And it's funny because that Yabek is wrestling, okay? So, Yab. Jacob, heel catcher, cheat, wrestler, deceiver. Jacob comes to the place of pouring out, emptying itself, becoming void, and he wrestles. He, he gets into this engagement with this man, and he wrestled with him until the breaking of day, until dawn. So this is all going into the dark of night. It's sometimes like us. In fact, there might be people tonight, here today that are wrestling with issues in their life. Um, and sometimes it feels like it's dark. It's, it's, you're just in that dark place. You're wrestling. There's just there's controversy in your life or there's just unease. And, 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 and you just find yourself in this place where it seems like the world is wrestling with you. You would love to just step back and say, I'm done. I'm done. I don't need to wrestle you but it's not like that. It won't let you go. This thing just keeps wrestling with you all night long. And Jacob's kind of in that place. Verse 25, when he saw, now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, in that, in your Bibles, that word he, two times, what's noteworthy of it? It's capitalized, okay? This is the man this is that one that's being rendered as deity in our Bibles. Then he, the deity, saw that he did not prevail against him. He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was set out of joint as he wrestled with him. He just, tweak, and all of a sudden, his, his body went out of joint. Does anybody here have shoulders or knees or fingers or whatever that go out of joint? Like, wonk! And when it is, you're just lame. You can't do a single thing, right? And the, in, in the Hebrew, it's called the sinew of the hip. It's going to ex- give a little commentary at the very end on here. But this man wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and wrestled, and it says he did not prevail, okay? And the idea was that this man, I guess I should just say it, I, it's Jesus, okay? This is a pre-incarnate vision or, or uh, visitation, live visit, with Jesus Christ and Jacob. He's seen him in visions. He's seen him on the top of the ladders. He's heard him. He's seen visions of how to be a great animal husband, all these things. But now he's having a moment with God and he's wrestling and he, he just won't let go. He's just stubborn. He's really stubborn. This thing he's been wrestling and wrestling and wrestling with God, it's his nature, his nature not to surrender, not to give up. There's a lot of people that are like that. They just, just, I, I, I got to be in charge. I got to be the boss. I just, I, I hate letting God be the boss and telling me what to do. And, and I just, I can't, or, or in most cases, 
that almost sounds like, yeah, that's pretty blasphemous. But for a lot of us, it's a little bit more subtle struggle, like, I'm afraid to let go. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I'm having a hard time trusting God with this one. It's, we're talking about my child or my wife or important things. I just, I'm really having a struggle letting go of this one, God. I can't let go of it. I've got to hold on to it. And God wrestled all night long. You're going to have to let go. You're going to have to let go. Finally, the daytime is coming. And God says, okay, I, I struggled with you. I, I engaged you. I, I walked with you through, I don't know, is it 20 years of your life? What, what, what part of this don't you know? I love you. I don't want to wrestle with you. I want to hug you. Can you just let go? Trust me in this. And for some people, it's just not enough. And God has to say, boom, bam, take you out, hurt you, cripple you, slap you up the side of the head with a two-by-four. What do I got to do, right? You've seen people, they're just like in this this paralyzed state or panic state. And, you know, in the movies, it's like they slap them and they come, you know, get out of that, right? And, Jacob's, and, and, and Jesus is like, man, Jacob, how many years have I been walking with you? How many years have I been witnessing to you, talking with you, just revealing myself to you, prospering you, and you just can't let go and trust me? You're trying to separate the herd so you don't lose half, and you got the wives over here, and you're sending all that stuff to Esau. Did I not tell you I am bringing you back here safe and secure? Didn't I tell you that? I think there's a word in that for me. At the conference that I was at this week, I went there looking forward to some good fellowship, meeting pastors from the Pacific Northwest and some of the pastors I know from this region. We hardly ever see each other, but we got together up there and had a good time. Little did I know that God had an appointment with me. And I kind of get choked up. I, I can't really explain it. I didn't go there thinking I was needing something. I didn't think I was looking for anything. I just thought it'd be a good time. And, you know, I'm sure I'll hear a word from God or something like that. And he broke me. I didn't know I needed broken. And he hugged me. And he just helped me see a struggle that I've had for so long. I didn't even realize I was struggle I knew I knew there was some I didn't but I just and he just broke me wide open he said see I've got this and and it was through passages of the word of God have I not been telling you this your whole life you're a pastor right you're a bible college teacher you've taught through the bible how many times how could you miss this mike I got this I got an answer for you and it just was like oh it was amazing but you've got to come to some place where you let go and just know God has it. Verse 26, and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's Jacob, man. I got to get something out of this. But it's beautiful 
in the way this is happening. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I just want to flip you really quick over to Hosea chapter 12. I know you read this one all the time. As you go through the Bible and you'll find things that are buried in there, they're just nuggets. And this one is just so beautiful. Hosea chapter 12, I'm going to pick up at verse 2 and read on through verse 6. And the Lord also brings a charge against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He's the heel catcher. He's the wrestler. You want to meet with me? Okay, well, we're taking it to the mat because that's how you roll. God will meet you the way you treat him. Punish Jacob according to his ways, according to his deeds. He will recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength, he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. Just want to let go. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us. That is, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorable name. Who is this man? Hosea tells us, it's the Lord. It's Jesus Christ. And we see Jacob to the point where he's finally broken with tears and weeping. Lord, bless me. He's finally humbled out. He finally come to the place where he's emptied out. He's become void at the river Yabok. He's wrestling with God, and God touches him and breaks him, and he's empty. And now he's ready to receive the blessing. He says, what is your name? He said, and Jacob answered, Jacob, Jacob, you know my name, <laughs> you know, heel catcher, deceiver, cheat, scoundrel, that's me. He's had it his whole life. Verse 28, and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. This is a wonderful passage in the Scripture. We know we talk about Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the God of Israel. This is where Israel gets his name. At his deepest, darkest point in his struggle when God breaks him, now God is ready to give him that new name. Anybody relate? And Jacob asked, saying, Tell me, what is your name, I pray? And he said, why is it that you ask me about my name? <laughs> you don't know who I am? At this point, I think we've met. You should be familiar with me. You've heard my voice. I've been talking to you all these many years, walking with you. Why do you have to ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which is to say the face of God. That's what Jacob named this place because this is where it says, he called the name Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. This is why we capitalize the, na the name of the man, that this person. It's God meeting with him. I've seen God and my life is preserved. You've heard the passage, I'm sure, it comes out of Exodus where Moses wants to meet God and God says, no man can see God and live. And we all go, oh, I can't look upon God because I'm going to die. It's true. In the flesh, your filthy flesh, you look upon a perfect God and His natural reaction is just, just to vaporize all that. God will not dwell in the presence of sin. But as a new 
believer, indwelt by the Holy Ghost, washed in the blood of God, covered by the grace of Jesus Christ, God looks on you and smiles. And you can look on the face of God and not die because you have died. When you died to yourself, you were born again. You are a child of God, and you are bound to look into His face. Right? This is what, behold, what manner of love the, um, the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God. And we, we don't know what we will be yet, but we know when we look into His face, we'll be like He is. We're prepared. Are you prepared to look into the face of God today? Because He is smiling at you. Let's finish this up. Worship team, come on up. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Verse 31, just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. This is so cool. I mean, many of you, I, Dallas, how's, how's the knees? <laughs> new knees, new see, knee surgery, right? A lot of us... Uh, just warriors going at it in life, and you get a little bit older, and you start falling apart, and limping, and creaking, and popping, and snapping when you get out of bed, and you think about this, but Jacob has spent his whole life heel catching, tripping, chasing, running after, running from, running towards. He's been the man on the run his whole life, and now he can't run. From here on out, Every step of his life, he's going to have to lean on his staff. We opened up this morning, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Did you mean it when you said it? Because that's the whole deal. You've got to lean on God. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Why wouldn't you lean on God? That's what He wants. He wants to hug you. He wants to hold you. He wants to walk with you. He's got you by the hand. And He's going to walk with you all the days of His life. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because He touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Don't put too much into that. It's just a commentary that, yeah, from a, we don't eat that because it's a reminder of what God did to Jacob. We leave that as sacred. It's holy. It's not to be touched. That's, that's just a sacrifice. We give that one to God. I hope we give ourselves to God. I hope that we have come to a place in life where the war is over. The struggle is over. I surrender. I give everything to you, Jesus. And we just walk on in that sweet fellowship, leaning on the everlasting arms. Amen? Amen? Father God, I want to thank you for this morning and your word, the lessons that we learn from Jacob, so much like ourselves. Father, I can't help but think that as we continue on through your word, you continue to talk to Israel, Jacob. And you keep switching names, sometimes when he's acting in the flesh and other times when he's walking by the Spirit. God, I see myself in that. Help me to be Israel, ruled by God, fighting with God, in the power of God, in the name of God, for the glory of God, by the strength of God. Let me stop fighting with you, God. Let me surrender and enjoy this sweet fellowship that we have.
Help us to be ambassadors of your good news and your great grace and not squander the opportunities that we have to step out in faith and tell the world there is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he lives, and he wants to touch every single one of us and heal us and fill us in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.